This third and final session is one on revival. We talked about having uh, reality in our marriages, being honest. We've talked just recently about relationship and exhibiting and really desiring and fighting to have that closeness uh, within our marriages. And now I want to talk about revival because um, revival means just what it means. It means something that's been revived. And so what I've titled this message is just revival requiring a second touch because in this, God is doing a work. And whatever He may be doing, He's always doing a work. But then sometimes, as we're going to see in the text, the work completed isn't quite finished. It's kind of fuzzy. It's not all clear to us because you might still be seeing things a little fuzzy, like I said, or a little unclear, and maybe you're not out yet. So maybe your, your marriage this morning requires a second touch by the Lord. Turning your Bibles with me to Mark chapter 8, if you will. Join with me as we read the Word. There are times, as you're turning there, there are times when the Lord begins a work in our marriage. It could be a work of our hearts to soften us or to refine us. It could be a work of our hurts to give up or to move forward. It could also be a work of of hurdles that are before us, things of difficulty that we can see, and it's like, Lord, I I don't know how we're going to get over that hurdle. Yet our marriages still seem not in the place we or He would like them to be. And I believe that means that your marriage is just requiring a second touch. Second touch by the Lord. Maybe some of our marriages, in order to experience a revival, need to experience the second touch by Jesus. You know, Gene and I, in our earlier years, as I shared last night and shared some things, uh, our marriage required a second touch. I think our marriage at times requires a third touch and a fourth and I just call that His grace. And in that, you know, um, there are times when God will pour His grace on us and He will touch us yet again to restore us and to revive us and revitalize us and refresh us. And a lot of times, we just need that. That we can see God doing an incredible work in our marriages and in our lives independently and corporately as husband and wives. And we just need that second touch from God. And for Gene and I, you know, it happened to where when we became saved, I believe God initially touched us, but God then also continues to continue to touch us in that time that I shared last night. And he really brought a second touch into our relationship to where it brought clarity to things. It brought clarity to my mistakes. It brought clarity to my uh, just my flesh that I'd brought into our marriage And, and the condition of my heart. And so I know what a second touch would feel like. And I know how important it is that we experience those second touches in our, in our marriages. So today I want to exhort you in that. I want to encourage you in that. 
that you, you may be seeing things kind of fuzzy, but you know what? It's okay. Ask for a second touch from the Lord because he's going to ask you. He's going to say, what do you see now? What do you see? It's kind of fuzzy, Lord. It's not too clear. Okay. Let, let me touch you again. And I think that's just the grace of our God. And so we need that. But I have to understand, and I want you to understand this morning, that a second touch is a process. It's not immediate. Jesus is teaching us in his word here that we study this morning that the work of God is a process, that it is not instantaneous. So just look at your spouse right now and say, I'm a process. (laughs) You see how easy that is? You're honest, right? I'm a process, folks. And so in that, you know, God, God will bring us into that perfection when we see him. But join with me as we read Mark 8, 22 through 25. It says in the word, Then he came to Bethsaida, and they brought a blind man to him and begged him to touch him. So he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. And when he had spit on his eyes and put, hands, put his hands on, it, on him, he asked him if he saw anything. And he looked up and he said, I see men like trees walking. Verse 25, then he put his hands on, him, on his eyes again and made him look up and he was restored and saw everyone clearly. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. And as we get into this final session, Lord, may your grace be upon it, God. And Lord, uh, thank you that we can see, even in this scripture, Lord, with this blind man, that we can also be blind in our own marriages. And yet, God, you touch us, and yet things are still not clear, but we see men walking like trees in a sense. We're not out of the woods yet. But Lord, in your grace, you touch us again. So Lord, I pray for anyone here who is requiring a second touch, that they not lose hope, but God, that they just be encouraged to know that you are willing and able as long as we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. This account, I think, is a real interesting account. All the different miracles and healings we see of our Lord, He does them in a way to where the first time they're healed. Bam! They're healed. But in this instance here, we see it's not the first time, but yet God touches this blind man a second time. Did you know that in this, this is the only account that we have in the scriptures of a gradual or progressive healing uh, described in his ministry, the ministry of Jesus. And I think what that does for you and for me is to understand how multifaceted our Lord is, how he shows us differently and how different he can mend or he can heal or he can restore, or he can reconcile, or even redeem. And so I love that about our Lord, that he's not put in a box, and we should not put him in a box, because he is open to ministering to us, to our marriages, to us individually, the way which is best that he thinks. And so in that, 
maybe Jesus, I think about this, and I think, well, maybe Jesus wanted to show his disciples who were with him um, how their spiritual blindness in the previous scriptures of this chapter that he describes, that they will also be healed, but that will be done gradually. Or maybe he wanted to show the friends that brought this blind man, his friends, that they, he wanted to show them how a healing was done and how they needed to trust in the Lord and that there would be this gradual healing. Or maybe it was for the blind man himself, specifically. The reason why I say that is because it doesn't seem like this blind man was too involved or he wasn't too interested because it was this blind man's friends that brought him. And there's not much that he says, but he says very important on a very important thing. We won't miss that. But whatever the reason is, guys, whatever the reason is, Jesus, Jesus shows His power to heal and to restore and to revive this guy's sight. I think that's really important. In verse 22, it tells us, Then He came to Bethsaida, and they brought Him a blind man to Him and begged Him to touch Him. Well, He being Jesus, they being His friends, They bring this blind man to Jesus. Naturally, obviously, they hear about the healings of Jesus and they know that He has healed people and He's caused the blind to see and the deaf to hear and the mute to speak and those who are lame could walk. And so in that, these men who have much faith, they bring Him. But let's start off with the fact that it says, then He came to Bethsaida. I think that's important because Jesus is never in a place just because. He's specific on why he's there in that location. Just like the woman at the well or other examples we have, there was a reason why Jesus came to Bethsaida. And Jesus was always in the mind and the heart of other people and taking opportunity so that he would glorify the Father. And so he came to Bethsaida and he's not there by chance. And I believe that Jesus also has come into your lives and into your marriage for a plan and a purpose. He's not come into your marriages just by chance. He's not a good luck charm. He's not a genie in a bottle. He's not someone that we just say, praise you, Lord, only on Sundays. But, he's, but he's in, he's, he's, he wants, he's there in your marriages because he wants to be involved. He wants to be intimate within your relationship. He truly does. And in that, he's come for a purpose. And he's come so that together you would love him as husband and wife. That each of you would seek him together that each of you would give devotion unto Him, that you would represent Him to others rightly and righteously, and that together each of you would have a love relationship with your Savior as husband and wife. Not just individually. I think that's really easy. I'm astonished, yet not surprised, if that's a way to put it on how many married couples do not pray with each other. They don't. 
I'm thinking, how is that possible, Lord? I mean, I understand the, the hurdles. I understand the things we have to get over and to, in order to do that before one another. But, but loving each other is also praying to God together and bringing up each other's desires and each other's frailties. And yeah, men, women, that means that you have to expose yourself a little bit. And you have to become real. We talked about marriage in the first session about having a reality, right? Well, the reality is being real with one another in front of one another and exposing each other's uh, frailties and inadequacies and truly becoming bare before each other and then together loving the Lord through it. And, And really seeking Him and wanting Him to minister to both of you. So coming to Him in prayer is, I believe, loving Him. A second area is that together He desires the purpose that you would glorify Him. That in the loving of Him, and that you would glorify Him. And like, how do you glorify the Lord in your marriage? Are there things that you take a stand for? Are there things that you will not compromise in? Are there things that you have decided that we are going to be that light? That we are, are going to be a marriage that, that others will, will notice and will see and desire in the sense of we are representing and imitating Christ. You see, in the imitation of our marriages, they shouldn't be imitating, imitating you per se. But they should be imitating the Christ in you the Christ that dwells in the center of your marriage. That's what they should be longing for. The Bible says that we should be, that we Gentiles were brought to salvation to provoke the Jews to salvation, to make them jealous. Well, why not have other marriages in a way you can provoke them to jealousy and say, look, look, look how they follow the Lord. Look how the Lord's involved. And so, so what do you do? How, how do you do those kinds of things to glorify God? What, what are things that, that you have done or can do to glorify God? Well, glorify Him in your speech around others. Glorify Him in your speech around your children. Glorify Him in the actions and the attitudes outwardly to each other so that others will take notice and see. I think this is, and I'm a culprit, okay? The only time I really remember to open the door for my wife is at marriage retreats. Why is that? We do that. So we should be having those actions and those attitudes all of the time. Now, also... That's a way that we can glorify God. You glorify Him also by, by laying your marriage at the cross and submitting your will to His will. Say, Lord, our marriage belongs to You. Everything we're about is about You, not of us. And we lay our marriages sacrificially at that altar of sacrifice so that everything of us can be burned away And that nothing is left so that you can be shown. So that you can be revealed. That's the idea. You know, before our marriages can go into the Holy of Holies, we have to first pass by the altar of sacrifice. 
And then we have to then be washed in the laver. And then we get to go into the holy place and pray and seek the Lord for our marriages. And then we get to go into the holy place. That's the trend. That's the, the way, the progression of how it works. And so glorifying Him, loving Him in your marriage. And then also part and parcel with that, you would then be an example to others. You would be a godly example. I think even within the church, there are not a lot of godly examples. I'm generalizing, forgive me, but I, I, I don't always see a lot of godly examples. And I'm not talking about the fact that, well, we don't participate in this or participate in that. I'm just referring to the fact of the edifying of each other, the lifting of each other up, being patient with one another, uh, being long-suffering, being understanding, being compassionate. I, I don't see a majority of that even within the church, but I see the opposite. And it breaks my heart. But I know by His grace that He will cover those things because none of us are perfect. But in the church of all places, I think if we're to have a godly marriage, it should reflect godliness. So we need to be an example to others. And then together, I think in that, we would be that strong trunk or that strong tree and God wants us to bear a lot of fruit. He wants us to be fruit laden and fruit bearing. And the Bible says that only a good tree produces good fruit, not a bad tree. And so to be a good tree for Jesus, a good marriage for Jesus is bearing good fruit so that others can taste. See, I, there's nothing better. I know that there's a place up in near Charlottesville where we've gone apple picking. I forget the name of it. Maybe you guys remember. Carter's Mountain. Yeah, that's right. And, uh, you know, it's a place where you go pick apples, right? It's a funny story. Gene and I were picking blueberries a few weeks ago. Was it blueberries? It was blueberries. She's not smiling because... What happened was we were picking blueberries. And I love my wife, but you know what? She's not accident prone, but something, something always happens, it seems. And she gets stung by a wasp or something. It's like, really, Lord? <laughs> you know, we've got this Monday, we're taking it, we're going blueberry picking, and we're doing it. And, you know, I don't know, how many of you guys have been blueberry picking? I never knew blueberry bushes were like so big. And I never knew they were so difficult to pick. I was thinking of them as like strawberries. So when Gene was mentioning, let's go blueberry picking, I'm thinking of fat blueberries low to the ground in these little rows. And I go and I go, okay, where's the blueberry bushes? There they are. When all of those bushes? Yeah, so you're reaching your hand in it. And of course my wife does, and poor thing, she gets stung by a bee and she gets this welt or a wasp and she gets this welt and, you know, why am I talking about that? <laughs> Bearing a lot of fruit. <laughs> That's right. Bearing a lot of fruit. Well, the idea is that those blueberry trees and those apple trees, they bear what they were born to bear what they were designed to bear. 
Blueberries, trees, bushes, do blueberries. Apples, do apples. Oranges, do oranges. And we as godly Christians, or we as Christians within a Christian marriage should be bearing good Christian marriage type fruit so that people will see and desire to taste of it. That's what we should be doing. Well, ultimately, together we should be allowing the Lord to be the center of our marriages for that revival. Jesus comes always to do a work. As He came to Bethsaida, He came to do a work. He came to teach these men something that they didn't know before. And Jesus is in our marriages to do a work in us first and then together as husband and wife. You know, our marriages cannot be joined unless we are like-minded and unless we can agree to walk in the ways of God. Sometimes one or the other spouse is just not quite there. And that's okay in the sense to where you pray. It's not easy, but you pray. And you ask God to do that work. You, you cannot change them. How many of us have tried to change our spouses? Don't show me your hands. Oh, you just don't want, somebody did. I don't want to see. You know, it's like, how many of us? It's like, yes, we've tried. And it doesn't work. It's only by the work of the Holy Spirit and the countenance of, of, of God in us that comes out that will do that work. Well, we know that Jesus then is not here for just by chance. And we know he's come for a purpose. And it says here that they brought the blind man to him. The, the blind man couldn't walk on his own. He couldn't go anywhere on his own. Why? Because he was blind, right? Pretty simple. But his friends had such faith that they brought him. And I think it's really cool that an other's type of faith, it was his close friends that brought him to Jesus. And they, and, they, and they believed that Jesus could heal him. They did. I don't know about the blind man. We, we don't know. But I know that his friends brought him. The blind man, it seems, wasn't too interested. And he, and he doesn't seem like he was too involved in this healing. And if he couldn't pray for himself then, others could pray for him. You see, I don't know if you know it or not, but there are probably people, other people, praying for you, praying for your marriages. I know your pastor and the leadership here does. They pray for you. They intercede on your behalf. And maybe you're in a place to where you're like, I, I just can't even utter the words out, but yet the Spirit knows our groanings. And he makes intercession, the Bible says, but, but others are praying for you. Others desire to see that fruit born out in your marriage for display in that sense. So others, others can pray on your behalf as these men brought him, their faith brought him. The prayer of others is so important. Are you praying for each other? Are you praying for other couples because you know it's not just about us all the time is it much of you like to think it is but a lot of times through prayer it helps us align our perception and our then our alignment of what we thought 
falls into line of what we should be thinking when we pray for another couple or we pray for another brother that's going through a tough time in his marriage or a sister in her marriage. It brings our thoughts, not our thoughts to maintain or stay, but it brings them right in line to where Jesus is. And that is the purpose of prayer, is that it lines me up with his purpose. It lines me up with his perception and the way he looks at things. So if I'm praying for a couple that's struggling in a certain area, God may then reveal to me in my prayer exactly what I should be doing and how I should look now at the situation in my own life and in my own marriage. And so praying couples or couples should be praying not just for yourselves, but you should be praying for others as well. Because it is truly the faith of others many times that will bring that other couple in. It's that time. Maybe you invited a couple here this weekend. Maybe you extended an invitation to a couple you knew that was, was doing okay or even doing great and say, hey, do you just want to be refreshed this weekend? Do you just want to gather around and just sing and pray and hear the word? And do you just want to do those things together and let's just hang out? It's like maybe you did that. See, it's the faith of others. You have opportunity to demonstrate that faith. And if others see us hurting in our marriages, they then can pray for that touch in your marriage and believe it that Jesus is blessed to intercede on your behalf. Whether others pray or you pray because maybe you just can't. Maybe there's too much bitterness. Maybe there's too much anxiety. Maybe you just feel it's hopeless or... Or maybe you're saying, Lord, gee, I really don't know what to pray for because you know what? Everything's really cool right now. And now I guess my prayer is, Lord, keep it that way. You know? I don't know, but Jesus is so blessed to intercede on the behalf of prayer. In verse 23, it says, So he took the blind man by the hand and he led him out of the town. And when he had spit on his eyes and put his hands on him, he asked him if he saw anything. Well, this is an interesting portion of Scripture, I think, in the sense we have the Lord leading him and the Lord taking him by the hand and then the Lord spitting on his eyes. I, th I think it's really kind of interesting and I'll go into that a little bit. But he takes the blind man by the hand and he leads him. It's kind of like follow the leader. And, you know, our marriages should be one to where we do follow the leader. He's our example, is he not? So, so how do you follow Jesus for your marriage? Well, you, you, you read his word. You see his example. You see the example of other couples on how they're following Christ. You take time to, to uh, sit together as husband and wife and talk about the different ways that you can bring Jesus into your marriage so that you can follow him more closely and imitate him in your marriages. And so Jesus brings him in and we are truly as married couples to follow the leader as this blind man is following Jesus. The way Jesus also is this way and how he leads us in our marriages. See, he just takes us by the hand. And he leads us into those good pastures. He leads us into those good vineyards. He leads us where the best grazing is. He leads us where the best fruit can be picked. He leads us to all of those great blessings. 
He leads us to clarity. He leads us to understanding. He takes us by the hand. Why why does He do that? Because many times we're just blind. We don't see the problem. We don't see the situation. We don't see what's happening in front of us and we don't know how to get from here to there. So it takes us to be able to, if we want, seek Jesus and have Him take us by the hand and lead us to that place He wants to heal us. How do we do that? How do do we let Jesus take us by the hand and lead us? Well, I think for me, when, it, when I come to the end of my options, when I come to the end of my rope, when I come to the point where I know that there is just, I'm, I'm, I'm out of ideas, Lord, and God's fine, good, it's about time. Now, now, now follow me, take my hand. I have to be willing to let Him take my hand. I have to, I have to be willing, you know, and like I shared last night, it was that time to where the Lord came to me initially and said, you know, well, do you love your wife? See, he was reaching out, extending his hand to me. He said, do you love your wife? And it took me to say, yes, I do. And he says, great, let me take you by the hand. And let me show you a better way. Let me show you my way. So we have to be willing. We have to be willing to to be honest with the Lord, be honest with ourselves, and allow Him to take our hand. Because we can be blind in the midst of the trial. We can be blind in the situation. And we need to be led. We need to be taken by the hand. I'm just really thankful that the Lord doesn't always smack me with His hand. But He takes me by the hand. He could easily say, Tom, you dummy. You are not doing it right. Can you not read? It's like, yeah, Lord. But you made me, you know. I'm one of your people. I'm thankful that he doesn't smack me by his hand. But, but, he'll, but he'll want to lead me. And it's not because of the way I'm acting or the way we act that we don't deserve it either. We may deserve that smack, but he doesn't do that. Yet he wants to take us into a place of healing. Maybe the place that you're in right now or the situation, he wants you to get out of it. He wants that not to be a distraction. And that's why you're here, I pray. Because, you know, a lot of times what happens is we get caught up in the stuff and we get caught up in the busyness and we have good intentions, but yet they don't come to fruition. And so it, you have, and I applaud you, and I am so thankful that you're here because you have decided, made a choice, and you've purposed in your hearts to be separated and set apart and sanctified to allow God to minister to you through each other, through the teaching, through the worship, whichever way God's manifold grace will, will minister to your hearts. It's manifold, it's many. And that's what's so great about the Lord. And so in that... Um, Maybe this is a place where he wants you to have a healing, a restoring or a reviving. 
in areas of your marriage or, or even personally so that you begin that walk of, to, of oneness and unity in your marriage. So he, he, the man lets Jesus take, take his hand and he lets him lead him. You know, and this is like really something that he had no choice in because he was blind. And we have to realize that when we are blinded by that situation and we don't know how to get out, we must be willing to let Jesus take our hand. And what that means is that this man surrendered to him. And we need to surrender our, our lives to him, our marriages to him, and our wills to him. We need to trust him also. And in the same way, we've had to let Jesus uh, many times just take our hand and lead us out of situations. Where does he take him? He takes him out of the city, it tells us. Out of the city of Bethsaida. So a lot of times he'll take us and do that work where no one else is around. Maybe it's just you and the Lord. Or maybe it's you and your spouse and the Lord taking the opportunity to get away and to seek the Lord together. You know, something I've never done before was um, earlier this year, in the month of March, there was a lot of things before me, and I was heading off on a missions trip. Uh, Gene and I were going on a missions trip, and folks in the church, and we were linking up with other folks. And we were, it was kind of a, a, an arduous, in the sense of long trip, going to Okinawa, Japan, and then mainland, and then to South Korea, and doing ministry in those places. And there was a lot of stuff going on. And, and the Lord had always impressed it upon me, but I never took, I never did what He was pressing upon me. And He said, you need to get away. You need to get away and just sit with me. And you need to, you need to pray and you need to fast. And so I did. I went to a very private place and I intended to be there for a couple, maybe three days at the most, come back on the third day. But because of a big storm and because of flooding, well, the Lord, I guess, wanted me there a lot longer because he wanted me to pray more. And, and I was like, Lord, I thought I was only going to fast through Wednesday. And now you want me to fast through Friday, you know? And so the, there are times where maybe you and your spouse just need to take that time away. And seek the Lord together. So he takes him out of the city. He may want to take you out of the city. But you know what's great about it is even as he goes out of the city, guess what? His friends are with him and the disciples are there. And those meaning that are closest to him get to see the healing. And I think that's so awesome. One thing that's kind of interesting and this is what God maybe, can, maybe does in our marriages is he had to spit on his eyes. Now, I call this little area here of the spitting on the eyes a little personal and a little uncomfortable. If you've ever been spat upon, if you're like me and someone's talking and they kind of flip something out, don't we like not act like it really happened? Yet you're like, oh. and you're just talking still. And you just kind of go, yeah, I know, man. Yeah, 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 okay. And you, you both know what happened. I'm right away like, oh, man, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You know, we all do that. It's like, act like it didn't happen, but it did. One time I had someone spit and it just went right in my mouth on my lip. 
yeah, gross. I'm like, what do I do with that, Lord? I got to trust you now. All right. That was pretty gross. Only time. That's why no one sits in the front row in our church. It's the splash zone. It's like Shamu, right? SeaWorld. But this is a very, I think, personal thing. And it's very uncomfortable and it's very personal. You think about it. To spit on someone is one thing, but intent, accidentally, but to intentionally do that. And then you have to be really needing something to have someone spit on you. You must be in desperate need of something. Now, let's use that as a metaphor. But to have the Lord really do something so personal and, and so intimate and so powerful in your marriage that something like that, that he, that he feels needs to be done in your marriage or in you to allow a healing to take place? Sometimes you have to deal with some very personal and very uncomfortable stuff for the Lord to heal us. To heal in our marriages, the hurts, the bitterness, the things that have gone on, swept under the carpet. Sometimes we have to, like in the first session, be very honest and real, and we need then to come to grips and to really deal with the very personal and uncomfortable things. It's hard. It's not easy to deal with your own inadequacies or failures or things that you're shamed over or things that you've disappointed your spouse in. But it's in those uncomfortable personal times that there is real revelation, real resurrection. I really believe that. And so maybe you need to take time and to really deal with some personal, very personal and very uncomfortable things that have been on your hearts. You know, some commentators believe that, whoa, that Jesus actually spit on the eye. Not just into the eye, but I mean into meaning on it. Ultimately, Jesus is going to use whatever method is best for you. Praise the Lord if he doesn't have to spit in your eye. He uses another means, thank you, Jesus. But truly, for a healing, I would rather take that than not be healed. Then it says that he put his hand on him. This is the first touch. The first touch brings, at times, healing. The first touch brings, at times, that initial, maybe a little bit of peace. And, and in that, you are then a little bit rested in the Lord. It's not a usual healing by Jesus in the sense of what we read. It's usually immediate, but in here it's gradual. I think it's there to teach us that God works also in the unlimited ways, but gradually He wants us to learn through the transition. He wants us to learn through the healing what He's doing. You see, Jesus wants us many times to go through the process of healing. Why? Why would he want us to go through that process of healing, of maybe enduring it? Well, I believe three things. One is he wants us to know that he's doing the healing. That is nothing else. 
No one else. But it's God alone. I'm the one healing you. Understand it because I'm the one allowing you to still go through it. And you feel it. And you acknowledge it. And you recognize it. That it's me, he says. He wants you also to experience the healing. Imagine if, in fact, a situation came up and then immediately, boom, it's gone. There's no experiencing it. But many times it's in that trial or in that storm or in that healing process to where you experience the healing grace of our Lord. And it's really super. Also, in the third thing, he's, I think he wants us to remember his touch. He wants us to remember it is him, that he has touched us. He has healed us. Then it says, he asked him if he saw anything. So Jesus wants us to see he's doing a work in the sense of he wants confirmation. He wants to acknowledge that, us to acknowledge that he's doing the work, that he's doing the tough stuff. He wants us to realize that this is a beginning work in your marriage and in your lives. He wants us to know that he is with you also through it all. He's not going to begin something and then leave. He's going to be with you through it all. Everything that he's going to grow you in or heal you in or teach you in, he's there right with you all of the time, praise the Lord. And it's in that he wants you to remember it. Make it lasting. Why? So that you can testify and declare and give testimony of of what God has been doing in your life. And within your marriage, there's no greater thing that I love than to hear testimonials of married couples. There's a married couple in our church who, who, who ended up getting separated. One went to Florida, one went in Northern Virginia. And I was like, after counseling the husband, I was like, oh, Lord, you know, there's, I don't know what's going to happen now because he's pretty much just given up. And so is she. But the Lord did a miraculous work. And they are on fire for Jesus. They're back in our church and they're loving Jesus. And they're they're just a testimony of what God's grace is all about and his power and their submission to him and and their desire to yield to the work that he was doing. And they are remembering his work. They remember what was going on through the healing. And God is still doing a healing. So, So he asks us many times, do you see what I'm doing? Do you see it? Can you acknowledge it's me? Can you acknowledge I'm the one doing the work right now? And in verse 24, and he looked up and said, see men like trees walking. Or he said, I I, I look up and I see men like trees walking, he said. So we need to do our part, in other words. Jesus asked the question, and what does this man do? He looks up. There are things that Jesus has maybe asked each of you to do or combine collectively in your marriage that you're to do to strengthen them, uh, uh, bring healing or whatever it is that God has has spoken already to your heart that he requires us to do. We need to listen to his direction. We need to listen to his direction. He says, what do you see? says take my hand so we need to listen to the direction of the lord and actually i look and i say you know lord i guess there's no place to look except up it says he looked up he didn't look around he didn't look down but he looked up that's where you and i need to look for our marriages is looking up looking up to heaven 
Because that's truly where we should always be looking for our marriages anyway. And he says, I see men like trees walking. Uh, In other words, things have changed, but it's still kind of fuzzy. It's still unclear, but things are changing. And what that leads us into is the fact that the time we spend, the time that you spend with Jesus changes your perception of your marriage, changes the perception of your spouse. It changes the more time you spend with Jesus. See, God wants to change your focus. God wants you to change your perception. Even though things are still a little fuzzy, well, not just right yet. He wants you to know he's doing a work. But it's interesting because this man knew what trees looked like. He was blind. How does he know what a tree looks like? That really spoke to me because that means that he could see previously at some point to understand that what a tree looked like and what a man should look like, a person. See, I think we should know what a godly marriage looks like. We should have those examples within our churches and within who's around us. We should have those godly marriages so that we know and we do, I believe, know what a godly marriage is to look like. In verse 25, he says, then he put his hands on his eyes again and made him look up and he was restored and saw everyone clearly and this is the second touch. And maybe God has touched you already, but yet things are clear, unclear, things are kind of fuzzy, things are just not right yet, but now you're going to be asking for God for a second touch. It was important for, the, for Jesus to understand that the man couldn't see things correctly just yet. Not just yet. He asked the question. And he had to, this blind man had to let him know that things were fuzzy. So even though things aren't perfect, we still need to, to, to let him know, Lord, it's just not there yet. It's just, I'm not there yet or my wife or my husband's not there yet. We're just not there yet together as a couple. There's something missing. He wants you to declare it. He wants you to say it to him because he's asking you the question, what do you see? And so in that, you can just submit even more to him. And there are times in our marriages, guys, when we need and it's required to have a second touch. Jesus requires us to go through a process of revelation to the things that keep us from seeing what he really wants us to see. We have to go through a progression of revelation. There's illumination, and then comes revelation. And then this, he made him look up again, and this is the second work from the second touch. This is called endurance. This is called perseverance. This is called reaching and finishing well. This is called purpose, decision, and also investment. Investing in the things of God for your marriage. And then he was restored and he saw everything clearly. The results of a second touch. See, that's what happens ultimately. As God is finished in that work, in that gradual work, then the end is clear. The light is at the end of the tunnel. You can see. You can see clearly. The results are restoration and vision. The results are oneness and their unity. The results are newness 
and brightness. This is the second touch that sometimes we all need in our marriages, says Jesus. You just got to hang in there. Even though the work is, it's a work in progress, it's happening, it's gradual, Jesus says, hang in there. Then the world can look at what I call a very uncommon love. Very uncommon. Because the world doesn't know that kind of love. But a love that's like not of this world, truly. Not of this world. John 13, 35 says, By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Those that are in the church and those that are outside the church, they will know. What does Jesus, or why does Jesus do it this way? He doesn't tie himself to a method, but he's at liberty to heal us and to allow us to go through whatever, whenever, wherever, whatever it is in order for a healing so that we can become full of faith and expectation. It's also because he, he accomplishes things for those of us who have the faith to say, Lord, maybe we're weak at first, but we have the faith to persevere. And after we've gathered strength and we walk in this process, then we will see the trees. Our marriages are healed by grace. First, we see the situations as the blind man, maybe hopeless, but then we see them as trees, things that are in the clearing. But then as morning dawns, shines more and more to a perfect day. It's beautiful. And then we see things clearly. And because of His grace, we see more and more. You know, I just want to end in closing with something that I Googled this morning. And you know, it's, it's kind of strange. But my wife knows since I'm the funny one in the marriage, right? You know, we're talking about blindness and not seeing into seeing clearly. And, you know, I, I was thinking, it's like, Lord, well, I remember that old 70s song by Johnny Nash, I Can See Clearly Now. I wonder what the words are like in that. Well, uh, let me read you these words. It says, I can see clearly now the rain is gone. I can see all obstacles in my way. Gone are the dark clouds that had, that had me blind. It's going to be a bright, 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 sunshiny day. I think I can make it now. The pain is gone. All of the bad feelings have disappeared. Here, the rainbow I've been praying for. It's going to be a bright, 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 sunshiny day. Look all around. There's nothing but blue skies. Look straight ahead. Nothing but blue skies. I can see clearly now. The rain is gone. I can see all obstacles in my way. But gone are the dark clouds that had me blind. It's going to be a bright, bright, sunshiny day. I usually don't quote secular songs, but it's like, I'm like, you know, Lord, this is about a person who couldn't see. This is about a person who said, yes, everything's gone and there's still obstacles in my way though. And maybe those obstacles translate into your marriage as requiring a second touch. And so I'd like to pray for you.